little boy was walking to church one Sunday morning all by himself, and before he left, his dad gave him two quarters. He said, now, Joey, one of the quarters is to place in the offering plate, and the other is for you to spend at the store on your way home. So little Joey was skipping and hopping along, and he stumbled and tripped. One of the quarters popped out of his hand, rolled up the street, and into a dream. Joey got up, brushed himself off, and said, Well, Lord, there goes your quarter. (laughs) Isn't it interesting that when push comes to shove, it always seems that God's quarter is the one that goes into the drain? Isn't that interesting? We say that we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But our priorities, what we put first, is the true test of our love for God. I love this anonymous quote. I think it just hits it right on the head. It's not what you do with the million if fortune should e'er be your lot, but what you are doing at present with the dollar and quarter you got. And how well that is said. You see, how we handle what we currently have says as much about our priorities as anything else. Now, we've been looking together at the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus does something very, very interesting where we are at in this wonderful sermon. After teaching us the Lord's Prayer... What our Savior does is He applies to us the Lord's Prayer in the next several verses all the way into chapter 7. And what He says to us is, how does somebody live who is praying like I have taught you to pray in the Lord's Prayer? Um, Look what Jesus will do all the way through verse 12 of chapter 7. He will apply the Lord's Prayer by telling us God is our priority, God is our provision, God is our judge, He is our protector, He is our Father, and He is our pattern. Now this morning we want to look at the very first one, God is our priority, and I want to bring a message in this series entitled what Jesus has to say about treasures in heaven. If you would take your Bibles, let's turn back again to the Sermon on the Mount, and let's begin looking together as I read for us today, verses 19 through 24. Now you will notice that the key question here is, why should we store up treasures in heaven? Let me read for you what our blessed Lord says. Matthew 6, starting at verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. 
If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Why should we lay up treasures in heaven? Well, let's look at Jesus' answers. First of all, treasures in heaven are the only kind that last. Jesus tells us in verse 19 that earthly treasures do not last. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, Jesus is making a very clear point here. He is telling us that all earthly treasure is temporary and fleeting. It is impermanent. Uh, The three types of things that he mentions were the wealth, uh, the possessions in the first century. Now, uh, clothing styles did not change very much in the first century, and therefore expensive clothes were passed down as a form of an inheritance. But moths could destroy those clothes by eating holes in them. Uh, All of us this morning know what these are. They're mothballs. When I was a little boy, all of our winter coats were made out of wool. And moths could lay eggs in those coats, and when the larvae hatched, they would eat holes in our expensive winter woolen coats. And I remember as a child getting very used to the smell of mothballs in the front closet where all of our winter coats were stored to keep those moths away. Now Jesus also mentions here rust. And uh, the Greek word here for rust actually refers to eating. It could refer to corrosion, but it may also refer to insects or mildew or rats that would destroy grain, flour, or bread. Uh, Anyone here this morning that has never thrown away a loaf of moldy bread? Haven't all of us gone to the flour jar, opened it up, found worms in it, and had to empty out the entire flour jar? So we understand here what Jesus is talking about. And then the gold and silver that people would collect was put in treasure chests hidden in their homes. Uh, There were no banks in those days, so you had to hide your goods, your, your silver and your gold in your home. When Jesus describes breaking in here, it is a word that means digging. Uh, in those days, homes, walls were made of mud, and thieves could easily dig through the walls when the family was away. And one of the great hazards of the first century is your entire life savings could be stolen by determined thieves. Now today, we have some very ingenious methods for protecting our wealth. But do you know, if we manage to protect everything we own, 
How much of it are we taking with us when we die? Not a single amount. Do you know that much inherited money is wasted by irresponsible heirs who misspend it? Did you know that? Uh, on my paper out when I was a boy, uh, there was a childless couple. And they both worked very hard to amass uh, a fortune. We got to know them very, very well. And when they died, they left everything they had ma- amassed to a nephew and niece in another state who mostly had ignored them. Now think about that. That nephew and niece, whom they barely saw, are spending to this very day everything they worked their entire lives to accumulate. Now what is our Savior saying? He is saying, if all that we have is invested in this life only, one way or another, we are going to lose it all. That's what he wants us to understand. But notice the other side. Jesus says that heavenly treasures do last. He says, verse 20, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now I want you to notice the one-to-one correspondence in Jesus' brilliant analogy. No wonder he is the master teacher, for this is masterful. Nothing invested in heaven and eternal values is ever lost. How many moths are in heaven? How much rust or insects or bugs are in heaven? The only thieves in heaven are converted thieves who no longer steal. And there are no thieves in heaven. So what is our Savior saying? He is saying this. Nothing that ruins and destroys wealth here can touch treasure in heaven. Now, follow then what he is saying. If we are wise, we will invest treasure in God's work to change lives and have eternal rewards. That's what the Lord is saying. If we are wise, we will invest treasure in God's work to change lives and have eternal rewards in heaven. I love what the great reformer Martin Luther said. See if this is not absolutely true. He said this, I have tried to keep things in my hands and lost them all, but what I've given into God's hands, I still possess. All God's people said, absolutely true. Whatever we try to keep in our own hands, we will eventually lose. But whatever we place in God's hands, we will still possess. Now, there are three cautions that I need to give to us from the God's Word at this point. And uh, you need to hear these cautions very, very clearly this morning. 
We must provide for our families as a part of serving God. And all God's people said, the Apostle Paul said this, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially his immediate family, he has denied the faith, he is worse than an unbeliever. And we are to provide for our immediate families. We are to serve God by providing for our families. Uh, I knew a man in the church that I grew up who gave so much money away that he did not provide for his own family's needs and they became disillusioned with the faith because their father was generous with others but not generous with them. Secondly, We must save for the future as part of wise stewardship. And all God's people said, Amen. Proverbs 6 gives us the example of the ant who stores up for the future. And God says, look at the ant who stores for the future. How wise the ant is. Be like that ant. Uh, Many years ago, my father started a savings account for both of my children for their college. Do you think that's being helpful this year? Yes, it is. Thirdly, third caution. We can and should enjoy the blessings God provides. Here's what 1 Timothy uh, verse 6 and verse 17 says. It says, God gives us richly all good things to enjoy. So if we have wealth, if we have possessions... That has come from the blessing of God, His goodness in our life, and He wants us, as His children, to enjoy that blessing. So we should enjoy the blessings that God has provided. Can I hear an amen about that this morning? Absolutely. Then what should we avoid? What is Jesus saying? We dare not have happen to us what happened to the rich fool. Do you remember in Luke 12, the rich fool said, I've been so blessed, I've got so much. What I'm going to do is I'm going to build bigger barns so I can store more, and I'm going to take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, You fool! This very night, your soul is required of you. You are going to die this very night. And then who is going to belong everything that you have stored for yourself? And remember how Jesus concluded that parable. He said, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, that's the danger. The rich fool wasted his resources, and what God is saying to us is he does not want that to happen to us, so he says, slay up, store up treasures in heaven. Those are the only kind that will last. Let's look at Jesus' second answer. Secondly, Jesus says that treasures in heaven keep our heart's values from distortion. Now look at this analogy that he uses in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, 
your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, all of us know that the eye, that little eye that we have, two of them, let in light, which then affects the whole body. What Jesus is telling us here is that if our eyes are bad or diseased, we will be hindered in using our bodies effectively. There will be certain bodily things that will be more difficult for us to do as we try to live in this world. Uh, Here is a comparison of a normal eye and one that has a cataract. And you will notice very clearly that the one that has a cataract, the lens is clouded. By the way, this is uh, of great significance to me. The last time I had my eyes checked, uh, the optometrist said to me, uh, your lens is yellowing and getting hard. But he said, you still don't have any evidence of cataracts. But I know that that day is coming. Now we understand how cataracts work. If the cataract is not removed, the sight will get worse and worse until the person will eventually become blind completely. Uh, People with cataracts, and some of you who have had them, you know that your night vision becomes bad because at night there is less light. The cataract blocks light, so there's less light for you in night driving. And people that have cataracts need to be very, very careful because they can cause accidents by failing to see carefully. Now, do you know what the Bible says? The Bible compares our physical eyes to the eyes of our heart. Paul prayed this for us. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you might be able to see the hope of his calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The Bible compares physical eyes to the eyes of our heart. Now listen then to what Jesus is saying in this analogy. If our spiritual eyes, our hearts, become clouded with worldly values, we will not be able to live properly. Did you know one of the three greatest sins is the lust of the eyes? The lust of the eyes is obsession with material wealth and gain, according to 1 John 2 and verse 16. Uh, Let me just be very clear for all of us here this morning. Nothing warps our hearts like materialism, greed, the lust for more, and selfishness. Now that is what Jesus is warning us about here in this analogy. When he says, if your eyes are good, the word good is often used in Scripture for generous or bountiful. When he says, if your eyes are bad, the word there is the Greek word for evil. And the Bible talks about the evil eye, which is a reference to miserliness or selfishness. Now, let me read uh, verses 22 and 23 again with that understanding of good and bad. Let me read it for you again. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are generous, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are ungenerous, your whole body will be full of darkness. Bible teacher Donald Carson 
puts it so well this way. Listen to what he says. The man who's stingy and selfish can't really see where he's going. He's morally and spiritually blind. And if we are morally and spiritually blind, great moral and spiritual disaster awaits us. Notice how Jesus ends the analogy in verse 23. If then the light within you is darkness... How great is that darkness? See, if I am morally and spiritually blind, I am headed for moral and spiritual disaster. Now that's really then the point of verse 21. Look back at verse 21 and and notice what Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Don't we normally think this is the reverse? Don't we normally think where my heart is, my treasure will follow? But Jesus says just the opposite. He says something we don't normally think. Our heart follows our treasure. What we truly treasure will captivate our hearts and it will dominate our life either for good or for evil. It is always and ever true, it is a maxim, that what we treasure will captivate our heart, and our heart will follow that. Many of you know that Adrian Peterson is a star running back of the Minnesota Vikings. A couple of years ago, he won the most valuable player in the NFL. He came 19 yards short of setting the all-time single-season rushing record. This year, at the start of uh, the NFL season, his two-year-old son was beaten to death by the boyfriend of the son's mother. What is so tragic, not only about losing a two-year-old to a beating like that, Adrian Peterson did not even know he had a son with that woman. Rather than immediately dropping everything and rushing to grieve the loss in that tragic death and comfort the family, do you know what he did? He stayed and played football first. And then he went. The ownership of the team permitted that distorted decision. You ask why? Peterson is the star of the team, and fans pay to see him. Corporate sponsors want a full stadium because full stadiums mean happy sponsors and more money. That was put over the brutal death of a two-year-old child. Why? Because where your treasure is, football and money, there will your heart be also. There will your heart be also. 
Several years ago, one of the greatest hockey players in the National Hockey League, Wayne Gretzky, saw as the plexiglass where his wife was sitting through a hard check exploded on her. She was unconscious at the hockey arena in New York for five minutes. When she came to, she was taken by stretcher to an ambulance to the hospital. There were six minutes left in the game. Gretzky's team was behind. Guess what he did? He stayed and finished the game. Afterwards, when his coach was asked about the decision, he said, he's a hockey player. Precisely. Precisely. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, even forsaking your own wife who has been knocked unconscious, taken on a stretcher to the hospital, while you go back to play six more minutes of your game. Do you see what Jesus is saying? If we are seeking things above, living for Christ and investing in His kingdom, then our eyesight will be clear. Clear eyesight will clarify our values, and it will keep us from moral and spiritual disaster. Do you see how much God loves us? God cares so much for us that He knows how distorted our values can be. And He says, I want to keep you from moral and spiritual disaster. And therefore, if you will seek things above, if you will live for Christ, if you will invest in His kingdom, you will have clear eyesight. That clear eyesight will clarify your values, and clear values keep you from moral and spiritual disaster. Oh, how much God cares. Let's look at the third reason. Third reason why we ought to store up treasures in heaven is treasures in heaven stop us from pushing God off His throne. Wow, has this gripped my heart this week. You listen to my sermon for 35, sometimes 40 minutes. I have to listen to it all week. And my, has this gripped my heart. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now what Jesus is doing here is he is personifying both God and money as all-consuming owners. Jesus is telling us that there are these two all-consuming owners, God and money. 
Now, we know that God demands the full allegiance of his children. We know the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So we all know that God demands uh, all and complete devotion from His children. Money also demands the full allegiance of all who serve it. That's Jesus' point. Now what he means here when he says you can't serve two masters is we cannot ride the fence or we cannot play both ends against the middle. Uh, Love and hate here is a well-known Semitic figure of speech that means to choose or prefer. Uh, The Lord here is using the extremes of love and hate to say when it comes to two all-consuming owners, we will always choose the favorite. We can't really ride the fence between our allegiance to God and our allegiance to money. In the end, we will always choose the favorite because you cannot play two ends against the middle. I knew a girl in high school who had two boyfriends. She said she liked both equally. Neither boyfriend was happy with the arrangement. One finally forced her to choose. Today, she is married to only one. She chose the favorite, Dave. She rejected the other, Robin. And what Jesus is saying is it's either God or materialism. We cannot be married to both. If we choose one, we will drop the other. If we choose God, money will take its proper place. But if we choose money, God will be left behind. I grew up with a friend whose father was a workaholic. He was consumed with making money. I had actually... More than one friend who had fathers like that. This father worked two jobs when one of those jobs would have supported the family and his mother, his wife, worked a third job. Can you imagine two parents working three jobs trying to raise four kids? The father was so selfish with his money that it was the mother who put groceries on the table. That father had no time for God. In fact, mostly did he sleep in church. And he had no time for his son either. When my friend was a teenager, he became reckless and he developed a mean streak. We had a third friend and I was always amazed at how quickly this other friend could turn on him and be cruel to him. When he was a teenager, his father desperately tried to reconnect with him. But it was too late. The die was already cast. The parents finally divorced and fragmented the family. And you can trace it all the way back to dad, who tried to serve two masters. 
Why is Jesus telling us to store up treasure in heaven and live for eternal values? Because if we don't, we will give up the service of God. And that is the greatest disaster of all. To arrive in heaven someday and stand before our Savior and have to confess we tried to serve two masters and in the end we gave up the service of God. Do you see how much the Savior loves us today? Do you see how much He understands the materialism, greed, selfishness? Me first, grasping for more that surrounds us constantly? And He is saying to us, I don't want to have happen to you what happened to the rich fool. Today, as we have learned the lesson that our Savior has taught, let's confirm together by just affirming publicly together why He wants us to store up treasures in heaven. Would you say them with me this morning? Let's affirm them to God. Treasures in heaven are the only kind that last. Treasures in heaven keep our hearts' values from distortion. Treasures in heaven stop us from pushing God off His throne. Oh, doesn't your heart long to live for Jesus and eternal things? Let's ask Him to lead us to do that. Father, thank You for the wise, careful correction from the Lord Jesus Christ. We grieve over the Adrian Petersons of this world. We grieve over the Wayne Gretzkys of this world. We wonder, God, if we should be setting and giving so much time to people whose values and hearts are so far from you. Help us, Lord. Help us. May we honor what you honor. May we extol what you extol. May we be excited over the things that you are excited over. Keep us today from the idolatry of our own hearts. Help us to be focused on things above, living for Christ, 
investing in His kingdom. May we take well care to the needs of our families. May we save up and store for the future. May we enjoy the blessing of God. But may we not be rich towards ourselves and not rich toward God. Lord Jesus, today keep us from having spiritual cataracts that blind our hearts. Keep us from sitting on the fence and putting other things ahead of God who alone deserves first place in our life. Help us to remember that everything that is invested only in this life will be lost forever. But what we invest for you will never be lost. We love you today. Thank you, blessed Savior, for leading us to where we need to be. For Jesus' sake. Amen.